Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to PR Week, the PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications, except this is a special show, listeners, because it's the first week after the holidays. We wanted to get you excited and give you some bonus content. So we've got a special show with Gail Hyman, who's the new CEO of Weber Shandwick. How are you doing, Gail? I'm fantastic, Stephen. I'm, you have totally raised the bar I know. on levels of enthusiasm. You didn't know I had that in me, did you? I didn't <laughs> know, miserable... but now... That I'm... miserable git that you normally have to speak to and, and liaise with. Oh, but uh, yeah, a special show for you because it's a special new role that you've got. Um, CEO um, stepped up. Andy Polanski has moved up to a new yes, role as CEO of CMG, which is Constituency Management Group, Correct. houses a bunch of interpublic agencies. Mm-hmm. So first of 25, all, 25, 25 Yes, he's even more it's important. A, it's a big deal. He is even more important. Yes. Former podcast guest yes. two or three times, actually, which is why we've never had you on, which is why we're so pleased <laughs> that we can do this now. Um, but yeah, how's it been? It's been, what, six weeks? Give or take six weeks. and um, it Officially, is... anyway. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Give or take six weeks. <laughs> and uh, it's been awesome. Listen, it's, um, as you know, I've been at Weber Shandwick for give or take 23 years. It's difficult to believe, girl. Um, I, you started out of school. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was in utero, actually. <laughs> Um, and I and I have been um, incredibly fortunate to work with Andy for the whole of those 23 years and um, have learned from him. And so and I'm, I'm excited for his ascent um, and I'm excited about what lies ahead and what there is to do and um, about an organization that is um, strong and brilliant. And, the you know, the, the goal is taking it to the next level. Yeah, I mean, you seem to have a well, well-structured sort of accession path at Weber in that Andy took the job from Harris Diamond, uh, who had the CMG role, and he went on to McCann's. And uh, you you seem to have a very stable senior leadership structure. How important has that been to the success of the firm, which is, you know, on, on an upward rise and has been for many years? I, I listen, I think stability has been hugely important to the success of Weber Shanwick. I think probably the byproduct of stability is trust. So when you have senior management, and in this case, beyond you know, Harris before Andy and Andy and then, and then me, we have had that stability globally and in a, a world that is as complicated as ours, um, having um, senior players around our organization with whom you have a, a trusted relationship, I think is a very important piece of our yeah. success. And Jack Leslie, still around? Jack Leslie is the chairman of our organization, and we are fortunate to uh, to have Jack. And um, Jack makes uh, a lot of extraordinary things happen by virtue of um, some of the other, some of his experiences for sure, um, and, and and some of the work he does in public affairs. So we're very fortunate. For sure, yeah. So you'll still report to Andy. Yes, um, I will. But uh, you're now in charge. So tell us how you're going to go about it. How are you going to change things? What's the what's the sort of hundred day plan as it oh, were? Lots Steve, of travel, yeah, I know, would imagine. Well, <laughs> there's there's a lot of travel, and you know, here I am on this podcast to reveal for the first time yeah, the hundred please, day plan. Please sit back. There's a long PowerPoint communist, here, communist um, style. Yeah. Soon as as you noted. Um, 
I am a give or take five to six weeks into the job. Um, but I'll, I'll let, to give you a sense, right? We are, I believe, an extraordinary organization, um, the premier organization, I would say, in, in, in what we do. Um, I think for us, it's going to be about um, becoming or remaining, depending upon where you are, the top choice for top clients and the top choice for the best talent in the world. So those are, that's a very high level thing, but it's really, it's about talent and, you know, it's, it's to some degree symbiotic. The best engagements attract the best talent and the best talent attracts the best engagement. So all the pieces that are inherent in making those two things um, happen and happen consistently around the world are um, some of the things we'll be focused on. Now, if you were to say to me, Gail, tell us about Weber Shandwick in 11 words or less. And you haven't said that, but I will um, sort it. The way I would describe where we're going is data-driven, human-led, earned ideas at the core. That's give or take nine ideas. Sometimes I would say we are, which would add to the 11. Um, You've done but, this before. <laughs> just, you know, I, I just have memorized the PowerPoint. Um, but I think that's important because I think, you know, that we are in an industry where data, data to some degree is table stakes and the price of entry, but we're going to be heavily focused on data that optimizes client outcomes. Um, but it is not data for data's sake. We need humans that are capable and brilliant at leading that and, and um, bringing solutions to our clients. And I, I, listen, we were born in public relations. We are pushing against the boundaries of public, public relations for sure. I think that's part of our, our, our success. Um, but the notion of, of earned ideas, ideas with the power to earn attention, that's what you cover. That's what we all talk about. I think that's um, a core piece of what we uh, what we will continue to do. And the other piece that doesn't fit within the 11 words is um, integrating risk mitigation through everything we do. And I think that's a huge point for us, um, a huge point for Weber Shanwick, an important point for our industry, because some of our uh, others in marketing services, and whether it's a, a media agency, whether it's a traditional ad agency or a traditional digital agency, um, those guys do many things that we are now doing in our industry, but that notion of risk mitigation in a complicated world is really, really important. You're preempting my doing. questions. Oh, I'm sorry. This okay. Is, but no, you said, but, I mean, you asked me. No, no, me. because um, I was going to say, look, earned media is where it's at these days. Correct. And PR firms don't have a monopoly on it. But I was going to say, what is the difference between Weber and, say, Mullen Lowe or other you know, huge or other agencies or picking McCann. only IPG agencies. Well, yeah, yeah, you are picking McCann. only IPG agencies. Well, yeah, yeah, because you have all those different profit centers, Michael Correct. Roth. They're all separate mm -hmm. in terms of the way they report. But it's it must be increasingly difficult for that earned media to describe to, to work out who does what because everything is concentrating on earned media. But your point is that the risk mitigation, the crisis it's stuff Frankly, they'd run a mile if they had to deal with a big reputation management issue or crisis, wouldn't they? Well, I, I won't answer that, Steve, because I respect all of our well, IPG let's say the, brands. Let's say the ad agencies are <laughs> Publicis or Omnicom then. Yeah, I, 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 I do feel quite passionately that your ideas can be bigger, bolder, more courageous, more compelling if you know how to mitigate the risk that may be inherent in those ideas. So take aside all the other things that are happening in the world that could bring risk and risk management into the equation. If you're just coming up with an idea that's incredibly dazzling and bold, there's going to be risk inherent in that. So the more ability you have to manage the risk or to mitigate the risk, even more importantly, um, the bigger your idea 
can become. And I think that's a place um, that we are hugely differentiated and we've got to continue to push yeah. on that. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Nike and we've seen Gillette and we've yes. seen other companies coming up with those big ideas, but they have a, a, a risk side to it as well. Yeah, Absolutely. We can and, and we've seen some of that risk. I mean, and, and, and not speaking of Nike or Gillette, but sometimes you see these ideas and you see, oh my God, like all the worst thing happens and then it becomes, you know, moving, moving, uh, moving back and taking a step back. And that's never what you want to see. Okay, now when I first came to this country as mm -hmm. PR Week oh, editor. When was that? It was nearly 10 years ago, really? to be honest. Yeah. It feels like yesterday. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it feels like 20, doesn't it? Um, but there was, I think, in the top 10 agencies, there might have been one female-led uh, agency. Now we've got five yeah. of the top 10. First question is, that seems like a great thing to me. The industry is 70% female. But does it matter, or is it? Or do you see it more as just I'm a great, you know, these are great PR professionals, and they are leading their firms, and that's how, that's deserve it, and we shouldn't talk too much about the gender. What's your mm. sort of take on that? How important good, is it? Good question, Steve. Um, let me um, step back. One, it does matter. I, I believe it matters. If if I step step back and I just look at Weber Shandrick for a second, we are um, fifty percent of our senior ranks are, are female, and that's been. For a while, and I think we we lead there, and I'm I'm quite proud of that. However, to get to your question, we are 70% female industry. When you get to the top, it is still about 13% in the C-suite, right? So we're seeing, um, in credit to Donna and 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 Barry and Donna uh, Imperato, that's a person, yes. Conan Wolf, Barry Rafferty, <laughs> Ketchum, right? Anna Maria um, DeSalva now, yes, Diana Littman, Diana Littman, right? Um, and others, as you say, and Marjorie and Melissa, right. who, who were exactly. around. So, so, so credit to, to all of those women who I have great respect for. Um, I would think all of us would agree um, that we want to be judged as leaders, not as female leaders. And so I, I feel very strongly about that by the same. But the tension in that is um, that we do have a mandate to be role models. So that's where it becomes important and that we have to be an industry which, you know, 70% female, you know, 30% men at the beginning, we have to end up 50-50 in leadership. And one should argue that one should end up 50-50 in leadership in the world, in the public sector sure. and the rest of the private and sector. And pay parity as well. Absolutely. Um, you say 13%. Is that in agencies or is that across the whole That's profession? the last data I saw in terms of C-suite, and that, I believe, is North American data. No, so it's not, and it's not um, big agency data. It's across the board. Across agencies. That's that's my understanding. Yeah. Right. That's that's kind of depressing, actually. But yeah, um, it is. But it's gone up. I mean, yeah. it was. It was, yeah. uh, it was but anyway, it, things are looking better. We had a famous PR week cover on our agency issue where we had like twelve of the CEOs, and there were like two women on it, and they were all, yeah. uh, and we got a lot of flack, and we were like, well, those are the CEOs. So yeah. now the next step is to make that a much more ethnically diverse group because that is still an area where uh, the PR agency world is lacking in no. terms of leadership. What's your sort of take on that and what's the strategy over at Weber? Um, it's, listen, I mean, we as an industry have to do a much better job. We at Weber Shanrick are diligently focused on continuing to do a better job. Um, there's a lot of things that are happening and will be, will continue to be reinforced. And that is accountability in terms of, um, how we're hiring and, um, the kinds of people we're bringing into the executive ranks. Um, importantly, all the work we're doing to be the most open, the most inclusive environment. I mean, there is in our industry, um, 
there is there's certainly a statistical issue, but it's so important to be the kind of environment people from every background want to work in and feel comfortable staying in. And that notion, and we um, had been discussing it in a meeting the other day, and the notion of creating a feeling of belonging is what has to be done. And I think we can all universally in our industry um, do an infinitely better job of that. Um, so there's certainly acculturation. There's certainly the metrics um, and accountability around the metrics. And then there's real hard work around being um, as open, inclusive, a culture of belonging. And we are uh, we are um, incredibly focused on, on getting there and improving those statistics, yeah, which I that's... agree with you are dire. I just wanted to say one thing um, to go back to your um, other issue, because I think there's an issue that doesn't get said a lot as it relates to some of the gender issues. And if you look at people at the top of our industry, they've often come up an operations path. Um, and I believe for one reason or another, I have no data and no research, um, but I believe for whatever reason, men are led down that operations path, perhaps before women. Women in our industry tend to climb up on a to-do list, right? We're the activators, the doers, et cetera, which is not to say that men aren't. But oftentimes I think that um, that number at the top, that, that number that is a little too low is, is because women aren't for whatever reason on that operations path. And I think as an industry, we can do a better job as it relates to gender balance um, by looking at that operations piece and ensuring that we are bringing up women as equally as we are bringing up men. And I think we, we need to be focused on and that. And what are you doing at Weber to make sure that? We, we, are, we are looking at training programs and be sure that people that we think are should be fast-tracked um, to, to move up the ladder are being given the appropriate um, de facto training versus um, creating an osmotic situation where some people get it and some people so That's what I like about interviewing you, Gail. You get words like osmotic. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah. trying for four or four or five Wouldn't syllable words. Wouldn't have got that from words. Andy, for sure. <laughs> oh, come on. No offense, osmosis. Andy. No yeah, offense. Andy loves osmosis. He talks about it all the time. <laughs> Not osmotic, though. Um, talking of the image of the industry, we yeah. wrote about a poll today, a Gallup poll that came out. Americans' views of U.S. industry sectors. No. And uh, PR and advertising was fourth from bottom, you know, in the way it's perceived. Only 33% perceive it positively, 32% are neutral, and 34% are negative. Now, the three below it are healthcare, federal government, and pharma. <laughs> so we could have a whole discussion about that, and I'm sure our yeah. colleagues over at Medical Marketing and Media mm -hmm. will. But we're, we're fourth bottom on that list. And if you look at the top, it's restaurants, computing, grocery farming and agriculture, even banking's at number 10. But we're at number fourth from bottom, an industry that is all about reputation. Um, we don't. How do we improve the image of PR? Because it seems like we're almost, is it like we're cobbler's children? We don't concentrate enough on promoting what the PR industry is, or are there just a lot of um, misinformed people out there about what PR is? Is, is that the case? Well, I, I, I think the latter, but I, I think if you if you sit back and think, how do people think about this industry? Where are they getting their image of this industry? They're not walking down the halls at Weber Shandwick or any of our uh, of our competitors. They're looking perhaps at some people they see on the news who are representing other individuals. So I'm not even going to be more specific than that. But they're getting an image of of 
a hundred years ago, what would be called flackery. That's the image people mm. are getting of what it is we do. And here we sit um, in all of our organizations in the industry that you so ably cover. Um, and we are sitting at the epicenter of every important issue in the world. And we are, um, I think, and we're going to talk about purpose, I know, but we are, are driving positive change and have the ability and have the screens and the clients um, so that we can drive positive change. And that's not a story that we are telling out there as an industry. And that's a story, again, the average I'm an American. I can't speak globally, or I could speak globally, but speaking about Americans, that's what they're seeing. They're seeing an image that is 100 years old of what, of yeah. what this profession is. And about. one of the things that frustrates me a little is whenever there's a, an issue, whether it's United Airlines having mm -hmm. someone dragged off a plane or an oil spill, it's called a PR problem. Correct. Well, it's not a PR problem. It's, no. a, it's an operational problem. Yeah. Now, sometimes the communications response isn't so good. Yeah. Like those two are good examples, yes. actually. But uh, the that's the sort of image people have of, of either a, a spinning, trying to spin something, or it's a problem that's been caused by PR. Yeah. So, yeah, I think um, I think it's actually PR Week's job as, as well to try and change that narrative and um, not see it as... And, and I think it's all of our job. I think it's all of our job such that, and you think about, again, it's... Um, the kinds of talent, top talent being attracted to our industry, um, our individuals out there as they think, mm, should I go into law? Should I go into medicine? Should I go into advertising? Are they thinking, are they thinking PR? Oftentimes, you know, again, when I started in this business, you, journalists moved to PR. Mm -hmm. I mean, that I think Andy that was a changed. journalist. Yes, I was a journalist. You were. Um, so, um, and listen, proud you of that. You just wanted a decent pay packet, didn't you? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> But, but, and, and, you know, look at the United Kingdom where people use PR as a verb. Let's PR that. Um, she's PR. I mean, PR is, is funky. And that's always struck me as not a particularly flattering. Yeah, uh, using uh, flattering. it as a verb. Using it as a verb is never, never good. Do you think the way the White House communications function has developed over the past few years has changed people's perception of PR people? Or do people not really see that as PR anyway? I, you know, I, I, I don't I don't know. I don't have the data on that. But I assume that whoever stands up in whatever government official, be it local or be it uh, be it national, I assume that people think, OK, that's an individual who's representing um, that individual and providing information. I'm not sure the takeaway is that's a PR person. I'm not yeah. I'm not sure. About that. Because, um, you know, we talk about purpose with the Business Roundtable came out. This is the Trade Association for CEOs, very important body, mm -hmm. came out the other week and said, right, purpose has to be at the center of every company now it's as important as shareholders mm -hmm. and shareholder value but and earned media and pr is central to purpose so yes. actually it is a more it's never been more important or vibrant or essential Correct. Um, as My a property profession. of transitivity yeah right? well yes. there you go there another of your <laughs> a equals words. B and B equals C, then a equals C. <laughs> so yes um yeah. I Tell mean, us what your thoughts are on that purpose issue. Some people are like, yeah, well, what's taken the business so long? Others are like, business should be about doing business, making things, making profit, doing good products and, and giving back. Yeah, but that's not their primary responsibility. What's your take on it all? Um, well, one, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think it harkens back to last year and the Black Rock and BlackRock and yeah, everything. Larry, yeah, that, Fink, that, Larry Fink and that um, certainly I think was eye opening and, and opened the streets eyes, I, I, I think. Um, I I think one of the issues, if you step back and look at one of the issues that we have, and this is throughout the marketing services or marketing solutions world, is sort of this tension 
between short-termism and long-termism. Um, so to answer your question, I mean, the short-termism, and now that we have data, we can see short-term what's working and we can change what we're doing and we can move quickly. And that's response to the markets, right? That short-term philosophy. And here we are in reputation building and brand building and culture shifting and all the work that we do that is profound and meaningful and supports a purpose objective. And that's long-term stuff, right? And that, um, for us in our industry, being able to work both of those. So um, I think is really important. So to answer your question, do I think it's important? Yeah, I think it's hugely important. I think um, I, I do think the pressure of short-termism remains out there, um, and and we see that. And I know, um, you know, talked about the evolution of, of, of CMOs and yeah. CROs and all of those yeah. other things, and that to me is reflective of the tension that exists in yeah. every one of our clients. Let's talk, move on to that because yeah. CMOs have got a shelf life of what two years. Two, so how can two they? Two years and three months. I've right. Heard. So how can they think long term when they know they've got to make an impact like? Now, right. we've seen companies getting, high-profile companies getting rid of the CMO function, right. Johnson & Johnson, McDonald's, Uber, yep. Lyft, yes. and many others. Many of them, yeah. Um, we've discussed it on the podcast. Um, how does that fit into this world? Is marketing changing? I mean, you've made a big play for the CMO as your client to take mm -hmm. you beyond that core CCO um, contingency. So wh where are you seeing that as we move forward? Well, I... I think it's too soon to sell. And in, in, to say, in some cases, right, we've seen the advent of CROs. I mean, I, know, I think in your um, in your blog post, you talk about sort of the move into technology yeah. and yeah. taking over. I, I believe, to throw a few more syllables at you, that <laughs> that our success is born of our ability to be cerebrally ambidextrous. Right. Oh, wow. I think I think there used to be. I mean, if you look at the advertising industry, it was carved That's up. That's a lot right? of syllables. I know, I know. But it, the advertising industry traditionally was carved up to, into right brain and left brain people, right? And we separated them out, and then we and moved them to separate them. It's changing. Yeah. You absolutely have to be able to do both. You have to be able to understand, interpret, love data in order to develop any kind of strategic or creative product. On so the us right-brained journalists going into PR could be a thing of the past. <laughs> No, no, not not in your case, Steve. Uh, but but that ship may have sailed. For me, <laughs> but but so I do. I think there will be an evolution of the skill set of the CMO. I would like to believe that someone who um, very brilliantly combines the art and science of what we do is is um, an individual of the future, not of the past. And I think we all we are enamored of the power of data, and data is for sure critically important. But I think, as I said earlier, it is table stakes. And we, the the art of what we do, um, and the and the beauty of the creative, I think, is part of it. And that's a that's a, a marketer's job is to do to do both yeah. sides of that equation. Let's finish by talking about agencies. We've seen some stories this summer about employee employee activism at agencies at Ogilvy at Edelman, where not just people saying, "Actually, I don't want to work on that account," mm -hmm. and people say, "Okay, no, you don't have to." Mm -hmm. They're actually saying, "Actually, we don't want the agency to work on the account, mm -hmm. and we're going to protest about it." That seems to be becoming more of a thing, not just in agencies, but in companies of all types, and it yes. links back to the purpose uh, issue. How are you seeing that playing out? And, and are we in danger here of actually going so far that almost like, well, you can't work for the government, uh, we don't agree, or we can't, you can't, you know, if you're not careful, you can take that to an nth degree, can't you? Um, for sure. Listen, I think... Um we have, as you know, and um, we have published a number of studies as it relates to employee activism and, and the growth in employee activism and the importance of it. I think just to step back, I think it has never been more important for any organization, any business to um, 
lead with its values. I mean, there was a time and place where everybody wrote down values and put them on a plexiglass sign and they greeted you as you walked off the elevator. We've got them in a haymarket reception, actually. (laughs) I have felt them. We live them every day. (laughs) Don't we, Sean? Don't we, Carrie? Um, (laughs) But the reality is, I I think um, we, our employees have an expectation that when they see the values um, on on our website and, and they see them on the plexiglass sign, that we are living them. And I think we have a responsibility to lead with those values. It is... In fact, um, you've got a new strap line, haven't you? I should have asked you about that. What, tell me what oh, it is again. Oh, wait, hang I, You want to go into it now or you want me to finish, finish, finish go on, answering go on. that Sorry. question? Sorry anyway, to bot, bottom line is um, <laughs> we, we do take... Um, we do take that seriously. There have been, for sure, issues. I mean, all the well, things. Well, you had to you... stop working with, well, you decided to stop working with foreign governments on We drew We drew a business. bright line, for yeah. sure. We have drawn yeah. other bright lines as it relates to tobacco and, and mm-hmm. guns. And um, I don't know, but there may be other, other, other lines that are drawn. Um, but that said, we do, we do probably more than you could imagine. We get asked to all kinds of dances and we have a committee and we review and we walk away from, from many, many more than, than we take. And it is a, it's a huge, it's a huge issue for an industry whose job it has been to handle tough issues. Right. Yeah, but, for sure. Um, but the leading with the values is important. Yeah, it's not easy. Right. Okay. So let's get back to your next question. Yeah, come on. Steve. This is a, this is a, a softball question. This, this is What's a soft- your new tagline, Gail, <laughs> at Weber Shandwick? my God, what a wonderful question. How inspired. Thank you for asking. Um, you know, the, the tagline I'd like to think is... And what is it? It's we solve. Right. Okay. Two words. Very simple um, in a complicated W-S, world. W-S. We solve. Yeah. Oh, my God. Who ever thought of that? Um, but, but reality is, and we talked about it um, a little bit earlier, um, we are a client-centric organization. We do, we do surveys annually of our clients and, and use the material, use the data we glean. And our clients, I believe, um, the average client said he or she had, give or take, nine business and communications problems that they were hoping the agencies who work with them could help solve. Um, And it became clear to us that our job is to continue to build an organization that is capable of solving complicated problems. And yeah, it's a, it's a simple line, um, but it's, it is complicated to do. And hence the, Hey, we are born in PR. We are building an organization, continuing to build, and we've been doing it for years, an organization um, that is designed to solve complicated problems, be they communications problems, and in some cases, be they business problems. And if you do the same numbers last year as you did uh, this year as you did last year, you will overtake Edelman, and, <laughs> and they do the same numbers, as the biggest agency in the world. And you'll be able to claim, be able to, claim to be the CEO of the largest PR firm in the world, Gail. Well, you know... No pressure. But that, <laughs> that, that is a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good thought, Steve, but it is not what motivates me when I wake up in the morning. Solving. We solve. Yes, that's what I is. get up and say. Now, listen, I mean, we have... We have a, uh, it's a great industry. I'm, I'm personally proud and excited to, to be part of it. And we have a great competitive set and I, and, you know, we compete against each other every day. And, um, you know, it's, uh, we're, we're lucky to have the bar continually raised. Well, good answer. Yes. But thank you, Gail, for joining us. Um, a pleasure to chat as always. Good luck in the new role and uh, taking that forward. Solving. Solving. And, uh, we yeah, um, we'll see you next time on the PR Week.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit prweek.com.